Hi guys, I'm so excited to share with you today. Um, what's really burning on my heart is um, that we are in a season of transition and Bill touched on it uh, last week a bit and I know that that's kind of been um, what we as a community have been saying and I feel um, in my own life, I've gone through lots of transitions, different transitions, some done well, some not done well, some aware that I'm in a transition. Sometimes I'm not aware I'm in transition until uh, five years later. But by the grace of God, by the redemption of God, I feel like he has really given me wisdom and understanding on transitions and what they are. And my heart is I want to unpack that a little bit for you. I want to um, impact it in um, some literal and just realistic, understandable ways, but also what scripture says about transitions and what we can learn about those who have gone through transitions in the Bible. So first I'm going to talk about what is a transition. Okay, a transition is its own place in time. It's its own moment in time. It, it has with the intent of taking you from the season that you've been in and that you were in and transporting you into a new season that you're going into. Um, transitions are meant to prepare you and they are meant to um, kind of do a little purging and a little preparation so they can feel intense in nature, right? So a transition is meant to kind of rid you of some of your old season right? Thinking of the, the caterpillar. The caterpillar has to shed its exo, exoskeleton, um, its skin, before it gets into the cocoon, the chrysalis. My girls, oh, we have this little caterpillar kit, so I'm really, um, I'm really like elementary age smart on caterpillars right now. Um, we have caterpillar pets. Anyway, so a transition, that's a side note, um, a transition is meant to kind of purge and then like and strip away certain things from your old season and it's also meant to fill you and it's meant to equip you for the next season. So it can kind of feel intense in a way where it's like a lot is being stripped away and then stuff is being filled, information, new, new things you're getting at the same time. So transitions should feel and can feel more intense than your normal seasons of life. Um, with that intensity, uh, it, there is this transitions often can be suddenly, can suddenly hit us. We can be suddenly immersed into a transition um, so much so that we may not even realize we're in it till um, we've been in it for a while. <laughs> um, so I, I see like the arc of a transition, if you're going to talk about like a story arc, as a sudden immersion into it. And then there's um, the character kind of halfway through the transition realizes they're in a transition, um, potentially. And then the exit out of the transition, I believe, as I've seen, is a lot more gradual, a gradual um, diminish of the transition in a gradual um, entering into the new season. So that can kind of have its own little gradual, slower process. Um, than the entrance into the transition. And I think we can all relate that most of us in this season um, that we are in in this transition, a lot of us were caught off guard, right? It, it kind of hit us um, very quickly. And, and it probably took a while to recognize, okay, this is something different about this season now. This is um, not what I knew. And um, oh, maybe I'm in a transition. So maybe you relate to that where we've entered this time a little fast and now we're kind of catching up to, okay, this is transition. Some examples of transition that go on in life are college. College, right? You're transitioning from 
being under your parents, under their finances, under their rule and leadership, in a sense, to becoming your own independent, um, financially stable, independent adult, right? So there's that transition, that college actually is a transition season, and it's a lot of things are shedding, and a lot of tools are coming in at the same time. Engagement. Engagement can be a transition and is a transition. You're transitioning from um, being a single independent person, uh, just one person, into becoming one with another person and, and building a life with another person. And so that engagement is meant to be a moment of transition. And there is, there's a you know, you go to marriage uh, or counsel, premarital counseling, right? So you're shedding some things, and you're getting new information, you're getting new tools to prepare you for that next season. Pregnancy my favorite, not really my favorite, but one I'm the most common, commonly <laughs> familiar with. Uh, pregnancy is a transition, right? Um, and that one is a very obvious one. It's like, oh, surprise, I'm pregnant. Um, so that kind of thrusted into that, that excitement. And then there's this whole process of your body um, shedding things and, and being filled and preparing, right? Your body's growing and getting all these things to build a baby and then to prepare to become a parent. Um, so that is a transition in, the, in life. And I like just giving that picture because I feel like it just kind of helps give us clarity of like, oh yeah, these are not permanent. Oh yeah, these are very different than your normal life. And thank goodness that we are not pregnant forever, right? Well, I can say definitely thank goodness. <laughs> so um, some tendencies. I want to talk about some tendencies in transition. Okay tendencies in transition, uh, negative tendencies in transition, I should say. Oftentimes, the tendency in transition, a negative tendency in transition, can be that we look to our past, we compare what went on in our past with our season of transition, and, and we get a sense of regret of missing where we just were, missing the season that we were just in, and, and, and not um, enjoying, not liking, or not seeing the need or purpose for this time of transition. Um, I think about uh, Lot and his wife, right? In Genesis, when um, Genesis 19, 17, it said, flee for your life, do not look back, right? The angel said that to Lot's wife. And then in verse 26, it says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. The danger of looking to the past and our past season, I believe has the danger is that it can freeze us and it kind of paralyzes us um, from going forward to where we need to go when we're clinging too close to the path, to the past. Uh, I think of Philippians 3, 13 through 14. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward heavenward in Jesus Christ. And another negative tendency in transition is that we can kind of miss that we're in a transition, take it out of the context of being in transition and assume this is our future season. So we are suddenly um, superimposing all that we're experiencing and going through in this moment and, and all that's happening and say, oh, this is what the future is gonna look like or the future is gonna be. Or a lot of times we we're taking all that's going on in our transition, all that the intensity and saying, oh, 
how do I manage the future now with all of this going on? And we fail to see that transition is its own intensity, its own season, and the future is not necessarily going to fully look like that. Now, there's going to be things that you take into that, but you're going to be different when that future season comes and, and there's there's differences. And so it's, it's very important not to get too wrapped up in, because uh, what can happen, right, is fear. Fear can set in where your inability to move forward or to um, see hope in the next season. And we kind of see that with um, the disciples, right? Bill talked about last week on the road to Emmaus, um, that they were in a season of transition and they were viewing that transition as the future as well. Like this is life now as we know it. And with that came hopelessness. With that came their inability to see Jesus right in front of them, right? So Bill talked about that. Um, another one are the Israelites, right? That's an obvious great example how they very um, often assume that their trend, their journey from Egypt to the promised land, that that season in the wilderness was life as they know it now. This was their new permanent season. They didn't, they failed to fully recognize most of the time that they were in a transition on a journey to a new location. Um, and with that came, right, complaining, grumbling, falling into idol worship, and many were actually unable to ever enter into the promised land, right? Because they failed to see um, what God was doing in that time and that it wasn't life as they knew it. There, there was a hope and God was saying, I'm leading you somewhere else. Now, I think the cool thing about um, the disciples and Jesus, right, with grace and now the new covenant is Jesus then explained everything to the disciples, right? And it opened their eyes, right? And they were able to enter in to that new season. They weren't stuck in that road, on that road, you know, in hopelessness forever. And that's what we have in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? The last um, negative tendency in transition is the tendency or the desire to want to give up. Um, there's this interesting part in birth uh, that anyone who's studied birth or uh, who's um, given birth naturally or been around someone who's given birth naturally and studied it, they um, should be well familiar with the phases of birth. And um, you have like your early signs of labor, which is like you're still excited, active labor, it gets more intense. And then when you're about eight to nine centimeters dilated, I'm not going to get too graphic, guys, so don't worry. Um, eight to nine centimeters dilated, you're right about to be fully dilated and ready to push the baby out. There is a season of birth, or a, there's a phase of birth called transition. And in that moment, anyone who's well-trained, like a doula or a midwife doctor who's watching someone give natural birth, they as the observer are really excited because they know that the woman is almost ready to push the baby out. Now the woman in that moment of transition, everything is way, uh, is really unbearable. It's so intense that she actually is ready to give up. So she, they call it transition and it's a moment where it feels like this isn't gonna end. This is way over my head. I can't manage this. I'm ready to give up. And the exciting news is she's just pretty much right there to push the baby out right there for her breakthrough. Um, and 
and also like and we see this in great movies too right we see um that right before the protagonist um, finally conquers whatever they've been trying to conquer, right? They've been working so hard, and then there's like this moment where they are defeated, and then they're, we're wondering, are they gonna give up in this moment? So now we're going to look at um, one of the biggest transitional phases that uh, went on in the Bible, which was uh, Noah and the flood. And I think that one's a little bit more relatable because he was also quarantined. Um, so that's encouraging, right? I'm going to read um, after the flood, right? So um, the flood happened, right? 40 days, 40 nights. Oop, quick pop quiz, all right? This is a little interactive. Right now, how, here's my question for you. How long was Noah in the ark? Interestingly enough, the flood was 40 days, right, and 40 nights, and in that, it took about 40 days to massively tear down an old world structure. But the acclimation into the new cleansed land took about 11 months. The time it took to transition into the new world, into the new covenant, the new way of life, took about 11 months. Interesting. So how long was Noah in the ark? How long was he quarantined for? Okay, I'll just tell you if you haven't already looked it up. A little over a year. I just feel like that's a little encouraging in this season because you know what? Other people have been quarantined for um, a long time. And by the way, Noah means rest. But God remembered Noah and the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abate. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Aret. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. One of the things that's highlighted for me in these first six verses are the process of time. There's a lot of time, right? And with each time frame, there's a new level of the waters kind of changing, right? They have, first they've subsided, so they've stopped their intensity, their violence. Then they're receding, they're pulling back their limit, right? The limit, their predisposition is being pulled back and then um, they have been abated. So which is like really less intense, less threatening, kind of stopping, right? What the waters represent in this are the, basically, right, you have the rain has come, destruction has come, and the waters are now filled with all um, the old world, right? The death and decay and all the, the sin, in a sense, of the world right? at that moment. Um, and so there's kind of this process of 
the destruction, but now then the cleansing of the land or, or take it the cleansing of our hearts, right? So let's continue. Still, it's been about, what, 10 months? And um, Noah hasn't done anything. Verse 6, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made. Okay, Noah does something. It took him, well, 40 days, 40 nights in the flood. And now we're at what, like 150, 10 months, we're about 10 months, 10 months and then after the end of 40 days. Finally, now Noah does something. I imagine those first six verses that Noah is very sensitive to what is going on listening. Um, you know, it's interesting in um, the beginning of chapter 7, it says that the Lord told Noah to come into the ark you and all your household all the all the animals and whatnot um and the word is interesting that he says come which means um one commentary i was reading talks about how god was inviting noah into the ark he was already in right so his presence was already there so i just see if noah means rest I get a sense, and he's not, there's no movement going on those first 10 months, those next 10 months, those first six verses, that Noah is communing with God in the ark and rest, resting in the presence of the Lord. Interesting enough, um, scholars also believe that the ark looked more like the ark of the covenant and had similar dimensions to what Solomon built than an actual boat. So in a sense, um, they say that the ark was a metaphor of the coming ark of the, um, the tabernacle. And um, so it was also just a picture of God's presence and him dwelling. So in verse 6, again, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters has, had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. Okay, I'm going to stop there, and we're going to talk a bit about the raven and the dove. So the raven, what does the raven represent? A raven is an unclean animal. Leviticus, it talks about the raven as an unclean animal. It's one that eats off dead carcasses. So in a sense, what does this raven kind of represent is that um, an unclean animal, and um, in a sense, he goes to and fro. What um, scholars also say here is that they believe that he was feasting on the dead animals of the world. And in a sense, it kind of represents the raven, if he's unclean, um, a being that's feasting on the world, right? And so I want us to kind of think now of the raven and the dove as our hearts, right? And our spirits. Um, 
So first Noah sends out the raven, goes out to and fro, feasting on the things of this world, eating off the carcasses and whatnot. He doesn't come back. Then he sends a dove. Now a dove represents a clean animal. A dove um, represents peace. It represents a new nature, right? So it's like our new nature. It's um, the Holy Spirit. So the dove, a clean animal, in another translation, NIV, it actually says he found nowhere to rest and came back and only found rest in the ark where the presence of the Lord was. I feel like what the Lord is highlighting to me in this season, this process, like as, as now Noah has waited, waiting for the earth to dry up, for the world to be ready for him and his family, for this new world to come. There's a waiting in that transition. And now here is his process of, um, of acclimating back into that world. And it actually starts before he even gets out of the boat, out of the ark, out of the presence of the Lord. And I sense that you know, in this time, the Lord is ridding our spirits of the things we used to feed on, right? Um, we used to, I'm sure there's a measure where we've all kind of used to feel, feed off of certain things that the world has to offer. And I feel in this season, right, that that is being worked on in our hearts. And God's transforming us from the raven to the dove. So that as we as the dove, now as our spirits are being renewed, our hearts are being renewed, we start entering that. Going out, as we start going out, we're seeing that, oh, there's no place for my spirit to rest anymore here. And we're kind of experiencing that, I think. That we're sensing like, oh, there are a lot of things going on in the world that I used to feed off of that I can't find rest in, I can't find life, I can't feed off of anymore. I'm really in a place of the presence of the Lord and I'm seeing that this is the only thing that's really rejuvenating me, really re-enlivening me. And I feel that's something the Lord is doing in us right now. And that's where we want to get, right? We want to become the doves who are now resting and finding only their rest and only their, their life and satisfaction in the presence of the Lord. So the dove goes out, he finds no place to rest, and he comes back. Then moving on, still waiting for the Lord's timing, I love, um, he found no place to rest. Uh, starting in verse 10, he, meaning Noah, waited another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So he waits, waiting on the Lord. I feel like what I get from this chapter is Noah's like, we have all the time in the world, Lord. I don't need to jump into this. I'm waiting on you. I feel that so strongly. I feel that's a word for us where we just need to be like, as hard as it is, right? The quarantine, I get it. But in our spirits being like, I don't need to jump into the next season, Lord, until you're ready. I'm waiting on you. I'm just waiting on you. 
So now he sends out the dove, his, the, our renewed spirits, right? We're, we're finding our rest in the Lord. And the dove goes out and he brings back an olive leaf. And what does this olive leaf represent? It's a sign of peace, the ending of hostility in a way, new life again. It represents Israel, right? Um, Israel is talked about as an olive branch. So in a sense, I think it's prophesying, right, of what's to come, of God's people coming. Um, and Jesus, right? Jesus was, um, so olive oil is, is known as healing in the Bible. It's talked about as healing. Um, anointing oil often referred to olive oil. And Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the olive garden. And, and it says that in Gethsemane was uh, the pressing of the olives to create the oil. So Jesus, right, is ultimately the ultimate healer. And um, so olives oftentimes in the Bible represent healing, new life, rebirth. So I feel as the dove goes back that second time, finding his rest in the Lord, now his spirit is beginning to get hope and to see that Jesus is doing a work and a healing and getting a vision and living in this place of newness and seeing the healing of the Lord and beginning just to see the world in a totally different spot. I feel like in this season, God is giving us new vision for what our role even is in life to come in this next season. And that's kind of what I feel like the olive leaf represents is that um, after we've gotten our rest, we're finding our rest with, with Holy Spirit, with Father God, we're finding that this is the place our spirits can only rest and remain. And now we're getting new vision. Now we're seeing that there is this healing on the land. We're seeing what our, I think God's giving new purposes and visions for our life, you know, in this time maybe even repositioning people in different ways, changing jobs or locations. And I believe it's part of God's giving us vision for what's to come and who we're supposed to be and what, how he's going to position us for this next season. So then continuing, the dove goes out a third time. So in verse 12, oh, going back after the dove, right? He freshly plucked the olive leaf. It says in verse 11, the second part, so no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. I feel it's almost like the tables have now been turned and Noah can discern that. He's seeing God, you're setting up what my role needs to be in this next season. The tables have been turned. Now it's almost like now God has the upper hand in a sense, right? The waters have subsided. There's not the crazy chaos. There's not, it's not more, it's not, the ratio has shifted, right? Um, it's not more water compared to the dry land. And I believe the dry land's meaning like the healing of the Lord. Um, it's the ratio has shifted. And so I feel like that's also part of the vision that God's giving us, starting to see Holy Spirit, you're beginning to shift the ratio and proportions that are going on in this world. And your people are rising up. We're getting the upper hand in Jesus. So then it says, verse 12, then he waited another seven days. Oh man, Noah, waiting and waiting. 
I think some of you know who have heard my the sermon I gave earlier last year or whenever Christmas time about patience and waiting. And so it's interesting just this theme once again. The Lord keeps having me on is waiting, the pleasures in waiting on the Lord's timing. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. So the dove goes out three times. This is the third time. Three represents completeness in the Bible. The dove goes out the third time, and he he does not return again. He is found, he is able to live on the land. And I believe what that means is he has now filled up in his spirit. He knows how to be in the presence and just rest in the Lord. He knows how to understand what he's called to. He knows what he's called to. He knows how to see through the lenses of Jesus and the hope of Jesus. And now he knows how to live in the world as a dove. And I feel like that's this process that the Lord is taking us on, the waiting for him to do this process and this work in us so that when this season of transition ends, we can live in the land, not feeding and feasting off what the world has to offer, but we can live there. But no, we always find our rest in the presence of God in the ark. So then... Going into verse 13, it says, In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw the face of the ground was drying up. So it's dried up. It's looking like a new land. It's looking healed, restored ready for what God wants to do next. And I love what it says. So once again, we're the process of God waiting on the Lord, listening for his voice, not quick to jump to the next thing. I love how it says, Noah looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. He saw it with his eyes, okay? So get this. He sees. And I love how it just says Noah looked. Did he leave the ark? Did he run out in excitement? Oh, no, he has not. He's Noah is still resting. He sees. He's ready. He's like, God, I'm ready. But there's a rest and a waiting in him. He's opened the door. He sees the dry land, and he just looks. In verse 14, in the second month, okay, he's looking. It's what? The first month on the first day. And now in verse 14, in the second month on the 27th day of the month. So let's just imagine that, just, you know, I don't imagine Noah was just looking there, but, but he's looking. He's just, he's not moving for a whole month and more, right? Yeah, like a month, almost two months, he's just looking. He hasn't moved. He hasn't left the presence yet. It's ready. God, it's ready. The land is new. And I, and I feel like there's something there for us to know. Don't be too quick to just say, okay, God, it's ready. We're ready. We're done. I've got it. You've got it. We're ready. Let's go. 
waiting on the Lord. Noah looks for another month or two. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you bring out what you, every living thing, all flesh, birds, animals, every creeping little thing. I'm getting emotional. So that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. I just love right there. The peace and the rest that Noah lived in. He waits for the voice of the Lord. It's dry out there. It's dry. I'm right at the edge of the ark, but I have not left your presence. And I'm looking. And I will just look. I won't move until I hear your voice, God. And that is just so beautiful. God's process. His timing. 150 days. 10 months. 7 days. 2 months. There's a timing. There's a process. There's a beautiful process. There's a beautiful rhythm in God's timing that I don't want to miss. And I know you don't want to miss. I want to rest. I want to be so silent with my words that I'm just hearing in the presence of God. I love that Noah doesn't say anything. For someone who likes to talk, and externally processed. I'm very inspired by this. <laughs> I'm very inspired by this. I love the stillness that he exuberates in this season. I feel that Noah was just so connected to the presence of God and trusting. And then it says, so that you may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. You see, in this moment, I don't know what Noah was thinking, but, but everything's pulled back, right? He's in this tiny ark. But once he gets out, there is an abounding. There is a fruitfulness. There is a multiplication. God, and that's why it's so important to see that this is a season, a season of constraint. doesn't mean that there's no abounding in the future season. Actually, that season of constraint, just like a pruning, right? That in that quiet little closed in, in closed space time that you have with God is preparing you to be fruitful and to multiply and to abound. God wants his people to abound, to be fruitful and multiply. And I do feel this season of transition is such a key one to stay in the ark of God's presence. Stay there. Just stay there. So now I'm going to just pray and close us out. <laughs> Father God, I thank you for your leadership. I thank you for your beautiful timing, your beautiful rhythm of life. I ask, Father, that you will rein our tongues in, rein my tongue in, in this season, rein my tongue in. I don't know if you need your tongue reined in, but I definitely 
mean my tongue rained in a lot. God, that I will not be too quick to speak. I will not be too quick to question your process. And I, and I will truly become one who listens and doesn't assume, even though I see the land is dried, that it's time for me to walk out. I don't want to assume and presume too much, Father God. I want to be like Noah, who once he saw the dry land, he opened the door, he looked and waited for another almost two months until he heard your voice say, go. Oh, Father, we are in awe and reverent fear of your wonderful ways. You know so much more than we do. And we want to stay humbly under your lordship and your leadership. Oh, Father, help us to stay humbly under your lordship and leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.